This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Dave Rubin, Thomas Massey, Chip Roy. How's that for an intro? Sounds good to me. Nailed it. Solid. This is it. This is the end of my little DC tour. I'm finishing up with you guys. Something about this giant table. I feel like this could end both of your careers right now. You like, saved like the you best guys are, for last. You guys are on trial yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, all right, Thomas, I got to start with you because everyone's going to be wondering about that thing right there. Yeah. Uh, you have the debt clock on your lapel. You and that thing, yeah, on where's it, yeah. yours? Um, you know, I'm, some people have a pacemaker up here, a lot of these old senators. I've got an anxiety maker. I'm trying <laughs> to make their hearts skip beats and become concerned uh, by looking at the debt increasing each day. It goes, I wrote the software in here. I made the case. I've got some 3D printed ones I'm working on so Chip Roy can have a copy. But it goes to the Treasury's website once a day, gets the actual debt to the penny, and then makes its best guess based on the average debt per second over the last year about what the debt is at this very moment. I'm going to guess that when you're back home in Kentucky, or I should say Kentucky and Texas, of course, when you're back home in Kentucky, people probably dig it. You come here and everyone's like, could you put that thing away, oh. a little bit of that? Uh, the Democrats, I had one in an elevator look at it and say, is that a doomsday clock? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. <laughs> well, they're always escalating, escalating that situation. Uh, so you guys are on the, on the freedom side of things, I would say. You're, you're on the what I would generally call the more libertarian side, freedom side of things. I sense after three days here that that, that really is the direction that the Republican Party is going in. Do you agree with that uh, or am I just being uh, Pollyannish? I mean, I'll say that I think that is certainly there is more of an appetite for that among a larger block of the Republican Party. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the overall direction. We still have a lot of people we've got to get there, right? Um, there is still an enormous dominance of what I would call the war caucus in this town. Um, and, and I say that as someone who child of the 80s and very much believe in a very strong military, yep. used sparingly but yep. forcefully. But we've got a kind of stranglehold on this place of the way we've always done things. And part of the issue here with freedom is reminding people why we have a limited government of diffused powers and why that's important for preserving and protecting our rights. Nothing illuminated that more than COVID. Nothing illuminated the dangers with centralizing power and giving power to a handful of cronies like Anthony Fauci than what we just witnessed. Thomas has been you know, one of the leaders on that, along with Rand Paul. I've tried to help and others. But we've got to continue to elevate that. There is an increased appetite for it, but in part because these people in Washington respond to their constituents, there's a lot of Americans who want us to preserve and protect liberty. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest, though. The, um, the fight that happened the first week of January over who would be the next speaker mm -hmm. was very consequential. And a lot of people say, oh, that looked so bad. You know, the Republican Party was in disarray. No, that is how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah. You, we're not supposed to, like, have all these backroom deals and everything's baked. And what came out of that is uh, actually Chip Roy and I ended up on the Rules Committee along with Ralph Norman. So conservatives, the people who are uh, most likely to advocate for freedom through legislation, 
have a blocking position on every bill that comes to the floor now. And also, for the first time since I've been in Congress, we're actually imposing time to read the bills. Like, here we are three months into this session, and every bill that's come to the floor, you, you've had 72 hours to read. Now, 72 hours, I know people back home are like, there's not time to read a bill in 72 yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. It's better than seven, 72 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> 72 minutes was the norm. Right, right. And, and the other thing is 72 hours gives people back home time to read about it in the news and then call the other congressmen. Right. So it's a heads up. You know, you could give our colleagues a year to read a bill and some of them are not going to read it. Right. Or they could read it, know what's in it, know it's bad and still vote for it. What's important is the American people have a chance in the news cycle to find out what's going on up here, call their congressman and influence it. So to that point, I, I sat down with uh, Speaker McCarthy at the Capitol yesterday, and I sensed actually now, maybe maybe it wasn't when you guys were in the fight, that he kind of is happy with the results. Like, I think he does feel like maybe it empowered him a little bit by you guys pushing. Do you think that's fair? Look, I think that's fair. I mean, of course, he's happy with the results because he got to be speaker. He did get the gig. It was a messy you know, couple of days. Yeah. But, but, but in fairness to Kevin, right? I mean, yesterday he sent a letter to the, to the President of the United States detailing some spending restraint that a lot of us have been pushing for. Um, he did uphold his end of the bargain in ensuring that several of us got on the Rules Committee, that we have more conservatives on the Appropriations Committee and other committees, uh, that we have been adhering to a number of the rules that we had asked for back in December. So all of that's good, and I think when that happens, there's there's a unity that builds around that. Now, getting to 218 on anything is hard, and you got only lose four, five, six guys or gals, and you're you know it, it's difficult. Yeah. But um, look, I think what we saw coming out of January was a renewed spirit that you know when it, when some people stand up on what they believe, you can prove that the sky's not going to fall. You can have. 435 people in the chamber debating stuff and actually move the needle yeah. rather than just kind of retreating to your corners, doing press conferences and walking away. And I think we showed that and I think Kevin's the beneficiary of that. Yeah, let, let me give an example of how the new system actually works out for Kevin. So he, to get the majority, he went out and did a lot of campaigning and one of his signature issues that a lot of people care about is uh, reclaiming our schools. Basically letting parents know what their kids are learning and so um, there was a bill it was coming to the floor, H.R. Yep. 5, that would, that would impose a requirement on every school system in the United States that you publish your curriculum and the books and the list of the books that are in your library. So parents... Real fascist stuff. Yeah. If you listen to AOC. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. believe it or not, Chip Roy and I had a, a small issue with that bill, which a lot of members of our conference did. Yep. We were like, well, you know, we prefer the Department of Education doesn't even exist. <laughs> like, so the question, like, if by reforming it or directing it, are we violating our principle of federalism and leaving things up to the states? Mm -hmm. And so uh, they asked me, is there any way you can vote for this bill? And I said, yeah, if we have an amendment on the bill that eliminates the Department of Education. Like, if I can show a preference uh, it, legislatively through my votes on the floor, not just say something on a website, that I, my preference is to get rid of this department rather than reform it, I could vote for the final bill, regardless of how it turns out. Well, I was, and Chip was the same way. He said, I was able to offer some amendments that would require dollars to be block granted to the states, which would be sort of the next step. Like, I, I favor abolishing it. But yeah. if you can't do that, can we at least just give it to the states and let them decide? And if you can't do that, can we at least let the dollars eventually get to the parents to be able to just use themselves? So we got to vote on all three of those amendments. And what surprised me is um, Kevin voted 
to uh, remove all the power from the depart federal Department Voted of Education. Right? Yeah, to micromanage uh, elementary and secondary education. So for the first time since Jimmy Carter set up this Department of Education as a re-election ploy that failed, we had a referendum in the House of Representatives on whether they should e exist or not in our schools back home. And Kevin joined us on saying, no, they shouldn't. Give it back to the schools. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So this might sound sort of amateur hour, but so the, the department obviously is still going to exist, but it just won't have authorization when it comes to these types of issues. That's, yeah. that's And let me be clear before yeah. everybody gets really excited. Yeah. Our, our amendments didn't pass. Right. Right. And, but, but we still voted but, for the final bill yeah. because we got a chance to put everybody on record. And now people back home can say, would I rather have a congressman that wants to take the federal government out of my kids' education or congressman who wants the federal well, government. Well, and, and one final point on that, to your point. So what did we pass? We passed legislation, as Thomas described, that empowers parents to know what their kids are being taught. We put on the record a whole bunch of garbage books with all sorts of total smut and ridiculous things that were in libraries and in curriculum. And we were demonstrating that. In fact, that's the underlying bill. And that's the underlying bill. But for me to get comfortable with federal power being used to go tell a local school district, you're going to require parents to be able to see this stuff. I needed to demonstrate that my personal preference is to get the feds out of it altogether. Right. But in the absence of that, then yeah, a parent ought to have a right to at least know how these dollars are being used and what's being taught to their kids. And so I think getting that series of votes, restoring the way things work, which is a part of that agreement, empowered Kevin and empowered us to come together. Yeah, just to cap all that, that bill probably would have failed. Correct. And, and Kevin, one of his major initiatives that he campaigned on wouldn't have been able to pass in a majority. If we don't fix the rules. If, if right. we didn't have, a, if we didn't help him put into the process an ability for conservatives to express their preference. So was the calculation by you guys that yes, you would prefer that the federal government not do anything, but not every state is going to do what perhaps Texas and Kentucky and certainly Florida, Iowa, Arkansas, a couple other states are doing right now. So it was sort of your only way in essence, right? Because Cali is never going to do this sort of thing, New York, et cetera. Well, I mean, again, and going back to preferences, right? I would rather, even though I think what California doing is, does is insane, yeah. I would rather just get the feds out of it and say, if you want to be insane in California, go ahead, yeah. but don't mess with my kids in yeah. Texas or don't mess with the kids in Kentucky. But in the absence of that, if we're going to, as we do currently, have federal dollars flow, I think it is, is within reason of me being able to say I would prefer this other outcome to be able to go in and say that, yeah, parents have a right. And frankly, even in Texas and Kentucky, it's not like, it's not like every parent in Texas knows exactly what's going on. Right. So where those federal dollars are flowing, now they'll have a little bit more ability to push for that. So when you guys, when you guys see AOC afterwards talk about how this bill was basically passed by fascists, <laughs> and it's like, man, she, she needs some better education because I don't know what it means. Uh, or uh, Hakeem Jeffries, you know, they don't want to teach about the Holocaust. I mean, th these were the responses you got out of these guys. I've asked this to every Republican I've sat down with for the last three days. Are you talking to these guys in the back rooms going, what the hell are you talking about? You know that's not legit. 
Um, so, I mean, in the Rules Committee, we debated this, and Chip was right to point out, they knew that this bill didn't ban books, okay? Because we had already discussed that the day before in the Rules Committee, before the debate came to the whole House. They, they knew it didn't ban books, but they went down there and said it anyways because they knew a lot of their constituents wouldn't do the due diligence right. to find that. Yeah, or, and stated a little bit differently, the bill, yeah, the bill does nothing to do that. What it does do is empower parents, and they come in and go, well, you're just going to empower this mob to go after it. Well, hold on a second. So there are books that I don't want to be in the school library. Let me be perfectly clear. The question is, is which library, elementary, high school, and then parents should be able to have the say there. That's literally all this this bill did, was say parents should be able to know. Did you guys see the uh, on TV, what was it, about a week ago, DeSantis is going through the books that they've removed. Right. It's basically two books that were pretty much pornographic. And the media, the mainstream media, had to cut away because they can't show pornography oh, oh, on ABC. Funny. I pulled up one of those books <laughs> yeah. in the committee that I was sitting on where we had uh, some, some witnesses, and I was starting to show, and I had to stop. Like, I showed the cover, right. and then I opened it, and I was like, I can't show this. I literally couldn't put it on C-SPAN. And that's that's the kind of thing that yeah, Governor Sanders was getting great. fixed. Yeah. But they wanted to yeah. say that they were removing Clemente and Rosa Parks. All false. Yeah. Those books were uh, uh, left on the shelves, or they were reviewed as part of a process and then put back on the shelves, and that's the truth. By the way, they, they don't read the bills we vote on. I've read a few of their bills. I read the Green New Deal yeah. because it's only 14 pages. And when I got done with it, I realized why it's only 14 pages. There's only 64 crayons in that big box. That's like, good. That's good. <laughs> I saw it coming. I saw it coming. Um, is, is the difference between Republicans and Democrats right now sort of as wide as, as you've ever seen in your how many years now in Congress? Ten, ten and a half for me. How many for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm in my third term, so four and change. Yeah. So is that difference wider than ever right now? It's gotten wider. Uh, uh, the, there were some moderate Democrats when I first got here. They kind of just finally all got washed out here. And the, they, uh, through attrition, they were going down. But, um, you know, I don't blame AOC for her positions. I really don't. I blame the people that voted for her. Like, what, what you see here, the division you see, is a, it truly is, and people may not like when I say this, it's a reflection of the American voters' preferences. Mm -hmm. And I think the country's become more polarized, mm -hmm. and that's why you see Congress more polarized. Yeah, yeah if you look at um, right now, right, and there are places in nor the Northeast or in certain sectors of this country where the people are still masked. I mean, you, put, yeah. put on, you flip yeah. on, like, the NBC control room, right? The control room, they're all sitting there in masks. Yeah, and yeah. Good grief, man. Like, four years ago, we weren't wearing masks in Texas. I went out to Lakey, Texas, which I represent, which is, a, you know, about two and a half hours from my house. And went out to a, uh, they were doing goat roping, and it was a Labor Day uh, weekend in 2020. And of course, the, 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 the Northeast elites and all that stuff, I mean, they, they were cowering in their corners and hiding and masked up. These guys were all out, you know, the kids and everybody were out in the rodeo and they're goat, you know, uh, roping goats and, and uh, we were all getting together and having food and dinner. It was totally different worlds, two different worlds, truly. And that still exists today, like that divide, that difference, that different view about how you do these things. And, and I think that is reflected in the representatives in Washington. Which is, which is why we need more solutions that are state-based yeah. rather than federal. You have to be able to agree to disagree, right? I mean, that's my, the reason I believe in federalism and the reason I hedged a bit on the, the, the parents' rights bill and wanted to go, well, because 
All things being equal, the only way this republic survives is if we can literally agree to disagree under our federal system. If we're going to tell each other what to do, it's going to break us apart. And that's what we've got to figure so, out. How so to is that really the fight more than anything else? Because it seems to me that the red states, and you, you guys know, I lived in Cali and now I'm, I'm in Florida. I feel like I live in a different country, but it seems to me that the, the blue states will never stop coming for the red states. The red states, I think, could for the most part be like, hey, we're just going to take care of our business and, and that's it. But the blue states are not going to leave well enough alone. And I, I sense that's what uh, is, is a big oncoming fight. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's been the, the direction things have been going for a while. I mean, certainly, you know, it, it, whether it's the kind of DEI type stuff or whether it's, for example, climate change, right? They're going to say, well, no, you don't have a right to be over there doing that. And they're going to try to shut down our way of life and kind of export, frankly, their misery to the rest of us. Yeah. That's, that's what, I left that misery. Go, right? <laughs> I don't want that imported. And, you know, look, one thing I do believe in, though, right, is that there's an ebb and flow to things. I do believe in the power of ideas. I believe in the power of freedom. I believe in the power of the fundamental principles upon which this country was founded, and that leaders of this country have an obligation to project confidence in those principles and go fight for them. Um, you know, I was talking to a group this morning, and, you know, all these the folks that get, you know, June 6th and D-Day, and they talk about their dads or granddads, and their family that you know, stormed the beaches of Normandy to a wall of bullets. They talk about Washington crossing the Delaware and Texas, the guys on the Alamo. And, you know, I say, oh, you're talking about all that pride. And then they go, man, you, you were real courageous in that speaker's fight because they were tweeting mean things about you. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, look, come on, guys. Like, if you want to fight for freedom, yeah. just get out there and say what you believe. Yeah. Stand up like I did at a Chamber of Commerce event today and said, DEI is garbage. Stop promoting it. It's, it's hurting our recruiting at the Department of Defense. We've just got to start being honest because I think people want it. And I think DeSantis shows that in Florida. He wins by a million and a half votes, 62% of Hispanics, 50% uh, of single women. Why? Because he led. He wasn't afraid of Disney. He isn't afraid of the universities. He isn't afraid to take on the establishment and take on all this woke stuff. He wasn't afraid to send a shipment of folks to Martha's Vineyard. And then he won 62% Hispanics. People are tired of people who are trying to buy their votes. They want them to lead. People always, people always forget the guy only won by 30,000 votes over a meth addict before. So right. it's yeah. like, this is, a big, this is a big change, yeah. yeah. You know, I do wish the, the blue states would leave the red states well enough alone. And I hear on, you know, the mean things they say on Twitter, right? Yeah. But one of the things they go back to is, oh, Kentucky's a welfare state. Mm -hmm. Well, the blue, the, the Democrats are the ones who are uh, voting, number one, to send the money to Kentucky, and their war on poverty is hollowed out Appalachia. Failed. Thank you very much. You've, you've you're on your fourth generation of destroying our culture, so I prefer you just take your welfare or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't vote for it, and, and also remind them, uh, we just printed $5 trillion. Like the government is spending money that the states didn't send it, that the people didn't send it. We've got 50 welfare states at the moment. Yep. Like, True. let's end the welfare state for everybody. All right, unfortunately, we only got about three minutes left, and I'd definitely love to have both of you on for a proper sit down when we have more time. Let's um, do it. But you mentioned DeSantis. I saw you guys a couple weeks ago at this Blueprint event that he's trying to really give the states this is the plan to, to fix everything. It seems like this Trump-DeSantis fight is coming. You, you jumped in early. Yeah. DeSantis has not even said he's running for president, unless something happened in the last 
20 minutes or so, uh, but you endorsed him already. What, what was your calculation on that? Yeah, look, I think uh, primaries are healthy. I was uh, Senator Cruz's chief of staff. It was healthy in 2016, but nobody gets anointed in this country. I don't care if you're Ted Cruz who came in second or if you're President Trump who was president. Uh, Ron DeSantis, just because you're strong in Florida, nobody gets anointed. you got to run. So uh, I support Governor DeSantis. I'm not afraid of that. He's a good man. I've known him for a decade. He's done amazing things in Florida. We've already talked about it. Um, I think we need to have a robust debate about where we want to carry this country forward. I would like to have someone who can serve for eight years. I'd like to have somebody who's not a baby boomer. I'd like to have somebody who has proven track record of conservatism. So um, that's where I am. You might get some mean tweets, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all good. So, you know, I like both candidates. Uh, but let's be honest, uh, Ron DeSantis was at the tip of the spear on fighting back against COVID tyranny. If uh, we'd had somebody like that in the White House who would, would fired Fauci and Burks instead of giving them commendations for their great jobs. Yep. You, um, you tweeted out a heck of a video of, uh, yeah. of, yes. of Trump kind of bungling things related to Fauci. Well, I mean, there was a lot of fear. I, th I, th you know, the qu people understand that the former president Trump hired a lot of people that should have been fired, and we thought he would have fired them, but he didn't. And um, so I haven't waded into the race yet, but I will say, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, the best governor in the United States. There's no close second. And uh, I had the privilege of serving with him for six years in the House of Representatives. And people can go back and look at those votes if they want to know where he stands on federal issues. He's a very strong conservative. I'm going to pull a Joe Biden here. You just waited into the debate. <laughs> it was a pleasure, guys. Thank hey, you very much. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, thanks Dave. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, God Dave. bless. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.